Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, Jesus said, and to finish the work whereunto he has called me. That's what Jesus said in John 4. When the disciples went into the city to buy meat, and he came back, they came back with the bry packs, and he used the occasion to demonstrate a principle. He said, you have, I have meat that you don't know nothing about. And he says, my meat is to do the will. Of him that sent me. Not just to do it, he says, and to finish. Meat gives you nourishment, strength, nutrients that drive your activity, that give you energy to do business in the earth. And Jesus said, my meat is God's will. The thing that drives me, the thing that fuels me, is a priority and a passion to do the will of my Father and to finish. Repeat after me, say, my meat is God's will. Say, God's will is my meat. May that scripture in John 4 come to you. My meat is to do your will, O God, and to finish the work whereunto you have called me. How passionate we can become about meat. Such must be your passion in reference to the will of the Lord. Amen. It must drive you. If there's a passion, if there's a mission, if there's fuel, if there's an impetus within a man, there's something that directs his activity, that gets him up when he doesn't want to get up, that sometimes when all circumstances and conditions are contrary, something in him that will drive him in a certain activity, it's called the will of God. That's your meat. I mean, the will of God is my meat. From a young man, that was always my priority. Not to be involved with so much, because you can be busy, but busy doing nothing. If at the end of your life, all that you've done did not equate to God's will. You've done a lot, but you've done nothing. And I was reminded, I posted to you what Stephen Everett said to us uh, at the school. He said, without God, you can do nothing, and anything you do without Him will amount to nothing. Without Him, you can do nothing, and anything you do without Him will amount to nothing. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain that? The frightening thing is, that verse is, they labor in vain that build it. The point is, they build it, but they've built in vain. Something is done, something is erected, structures are erected, but at the end of the day, God looks at it and He says, vanity, emptiness, vacuous, no substance. I don't want to come to that place, but I pray that you would, you would prioritize the will of the Lord above all else. Amen. Say it again. My meat, God's will. Say it again. My meat, God's will. Say God's will, my meat. Okay. Must become a passion, a priority with you. I want to continue now with the series, which we've been discussing for a long time. Now, this is session 30 in the series on kingdom economics. And it's part five in the recent segment on sowing and reaping. 
So we've been exploring finance or kingdom economics and of recent, looking at the principle of sowing and reaping within the overall theme of kingdom economics. I've been exploring recently why we don't reap. Why when we have sown, we reap very little or reap not as much as we should. First question we asked to quickly recap from last week. Why do not some reap? Why don't some people reap? The simple answer is you don't sow. If you sow, you will reap. Secondly, why do some reap more than, than others? And we started discussing this. Firstly, we said you reap in direct proportion to what you have sown. So if you sow sparingly, you will, you will reap sparingly. And the, the word sparing there in the Greek is stingily. If you sow little seed, you reap little crop. Message says, you sow few seeds, you reap a stingy crop. The Greek word uh, for sparingly is stingy. Yet the Greek word for if you sow bountifully, you will reap how? Bountifully, your harvest is directly dependent on what and how you have sown. That word bountifully, we said, doesn't only relate to the amount of seed sown, it also relates to the attitude with which you sow. Because the Greek word for bountifully means to give with blessing. Everyone say with blessing. So it, it, the idea is if I give money to somebody, to God's servant, or to strangers or to beggars, the attitude is I must give. Everyone say with blessing. That's what it means to give bountifully. Giving bountifully doesn't just mean giving a lot. It means giving with an attitude of I bless you. I bless you, okay? And this money or these, these materials, this, uh, the other day in the week, there was a, a destitute family. We bought some groceries, took it to their house, went upstairs to their flat, and they're literally a mother with four boys and nothing to eat in the home, literally nothing. My heart broke within me. And uh, Renee and I went, we bought some groceries, and we took it. And I know the principle. We're sowing this into this family and the attitude is, we bless you. We are glad to do this. There's no grudge. There's no, um, there, there's no remorse or regret in our heart as we do this. We are God's arm to you. He is blessing you. So we grant this with blessing. Everyone say with blessing. It's very important that you, whatever, because the Bible says, God loves a cheerful giver. So when you sow, you must neither sow of necessity. When you give, give not grudgingly, nor of ne. Necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. Everyone say cheerful giver. The word for cheerful is hilarious. Greek word hilario, cheerful. If we get the English word hilarious. Have you ever seen an hilarious giver? Have you ever, who knows an hilarious person? Never mind giver. Just hilarious. All right? All right? They're like the life of the party person. All right? Very colorful. Always laughing. Never a down day. That's the attitude with which you must give. God says, when you give, adopt that attitude. Right? Become hilarious. Um, the message says, a besides himself giver. And hilarious person is besides themselves. So we have to become cheerful givers and we give with blessing. So why don't you reap much? Well, you're not, in, you're not sowing much and you're not sowing with the right with the right attitude. Attitude is very important. The second reason why you don't sow much, 
is because you become discouraged and you start to stop doing good and you start to cease continual sowing because you've become weary between seed time and harvest time. Please remember these are times. The Bible says seed time. Everyone say seed time. Seed time and it says harvest time. They're two separate time periods. Between those two states, do not become discouraged by what you have sown. You not have seen the immediacy of the harvest. Because it will come back to you. All seeds sown with good motivation, with a good attitude, sown in godliness, in the, in the proper heart disposition, will bear a harvest. If not now, then later. But while you wait, do not be discouraged. Come on, tell someone, while you wait, do not be discouraged. I won't go through all the scriptures. We looked at length at Galatians 6 in this regard. The Bible says we must not be weary in doing good. Right? Do not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. Galatians 6 and verse, and verse 9. Okay? There's something called due season, which is your season. The Psalm 1 man, remember, blessed is the man that does not sit in the council of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is where? In the law of the Lord. In his law he does meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, brings forth fruit in his season. New King James. Everyone say, in his season. So there's a season called his season, right? Uh, the Greek is idios, it means belonging to one's own. A unique time specially designed for you. If you do not falter, you will bear fruit in your season. And I want to encourage you, the scripture in Ecclesiastes says, he makes everything beautiful in his time. So tell someone, wait for your time. Right? So listen carefully. Having sown, having sown, while you wait, do not see sowing and doing good. That's the imperative in Galatians 6. Okay? Having sown, do not be uh, weary in well-doing. Okay? And you, sometimes you sow in tears, but you will reap with joy. That's Psalm 126. They that sow in tears, he who, he who bears a bag of seeds, it says... And sowing his seeds with tears will doubtful, doubtless come again, bringing in the sheaves with him with great joy. Another reason why we said that some people do not reap as much as they should is because they lack faith and assurance in God and the principle of his word. While you wait, listen carefully, having sown while you wait in the state of waiting, do not let faith wane. Continue to believe that you've trusted God and the principle that He has established. You're not having so much faith in the principle, having obeyed the principle of sowing and reaping. Your faith is in God who established the principle. Okay? So while you wait, do not lose faith. Faith is very important that you maintain it while you wait. Because doubt fuels the activity and the agenda of the enemy to abort your harvest. But 
God requires a position of consistent belief in Him for that harvest to materialize. Okay? So the Bible says, for example, in we looked at the scripture last week, Hebrews 10 verse, Hebrews 6 verse 10, God is not unjust so as to forget your, your work and the love which you have shown towards His name. In what? Having ministered and still, having ministered is past tense, still ministering is present tense. So, having ministered, still minister. Why? God is not unjust to forget what you have done. So, while having done the thing, still do the thing, because God will not forget. Okay? Having ministered, still and still do minister. And then we, uh, we used a whole lot of case studies last week to illustrate this principle, just to encourage you to keep your faith up that God has not forgotten the seed. God has not forgotten the, the good deed. Remember we looked at Cornelius' example? Cornelius' giving came up as a memorial before God, and memorials are designed to keep the person in constant remembrance. His giving came up to God as a memorial. Dorcas died. We looked at another example. Dorcas died. Peter was called to pray for her to raise her from the dead. Before he raises her from the dead, the widows present to Peter all the good works, the garments that this lady sowed in terms of a desire to bless people uh, with charitable works. And they present this to Peter saying, see the good works of this lady. So like Abel who offered a first fruit offering, and though the scripture says, though Abel is dead, yet he still speaks. Dorcas died, but her works spoke on her behalf. Right? And Peter was activated to pray for her, and he raised her from the, he raised her from the dead. We looked at the Proverbs 31 woman also, where it says, her works praise her way. At the gates. Women are not allowed to sit at the gates in Jewish culture. But her works speak for her where men sit to make decisions. Your works speak for you at the gate. We looked at the scripture which says, a man's gift makes room. Not, not that the word gift there doesn't mean your talent. We've often interpreted that way. If you do a Hebrew study of the word, the word gift there means a man's benevolent and generous giving will make room for him and bring that man before Great men, before kings. Cornelius' giving, giving brought him before Peter. Paved the way and ushered him into the, ne the next phase of God's dealings with him. So, I think that is where there are many examples. But because of time, I don't want to rehearse all of that right now. You must get the tape or the CD, uh, last week's sermon, off my website rather. And listen intently. We gave countless examples of this principle. And for me, it's very, very encouraging that God never forgets. Never forgets. Right? The seed sown in honor with true motivation, God never forgets. God never forgets. I've been observing God's blessing upon some of you here in the congregation. And, for, and it's indicated in, in, for some of you in terms of how much more you're giving and you're giving beyond your ability. You're putting the principles into practice. And I can see the blessing of the Lord upon your life. And some yet others are still standing away from the principle. I'm saying to you, you're not going to harvest if you don't practice the principle. You're going to believe God and His Word. And put the principle into play and see 
the harvest that God will bring upon you. Now, go to Haggai. I'm going to go to a fourth reason why some reap, or rather some sow, and don't reap as they should. They sown much, but they're reaping a little. The book of Haggai gives a clue. Some history here. Israel was in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Through the decree of Cyrus, being commissioned by the Lord, he releases them to go back to Jerusalem. So they come back to Jerusalem, and the first activity is to rebuild the temple. Within a year, a few months, they established the foundation, and they rebuild it. But there was opposition from foreign nations. The building process was thwarted. A significant individual by the name of Zerubbabel was the governor of Judah at that time. He was an apostolic figure, the supervisor on the piece of work, so to speak, uh, supervising the rebuilding project. He, together with Josiah, or Joshua, the high priest, became very, very discouraged at the opposition of surrounding nations for the rebuilding project. And the project almost was put on hold for 15 years. And even when, listen carefully, even when the opposition from the foreign nations was dealt with and there was no opposition, the building still laid incomplete. The work was not resumed. In that time, God raised up two prophets to speak to the situation. Those two guys were Haggai and Zechariah. If you're studying the Old Testament, books like Nehemiah, Ezra, must be read in conjunction with Haggai and Zechariah. Ezra was a scribe. Nehemiah um, used to work in the courts of Babylon and asked for leave to rebuild the wall. Okay? And they are sort of apostolic figures together with Zerubbabel. But wherever you have building, everyone say building. They're building the temple, rebuilding the wall. Ezra the scribe, rebuilding the lives of people, you will always have prophets. Everyone say prophets. You can't have those personalities without the prophetic dimension. Haggai and Zechariah come to activate the building process. Because sometimes building wanes and the prophetic dimension is activated to reinstate the building project. Listen carefully. You can become so discouraged by building because of issues that you are facing, opposition. And sometimes, even when the opposition is dealt with, you still leave the building unattended. Because passivity, everyone say passivity. Passivity, you just go, whatever must be, must be. And you go with the flow, even in the face of no opposition, because a prior opposition has so discouraged you from building, that now you still remain the passive in the face of no opposition. That is what the situation is here. This Haggai, everyone say Haggai. I love, you must read the books of Haggai. Haggai is only two chapters. Zechariah as well. Powerful, powerful books. It is Zechariah that said to the mountain of opposition, Oh mountain, what are you? Before Zerubbabel, he said, before this governor supervising the building project, he says, Oh mountain, you will become flattened. A mountain is an opposition. You will become flattened with shouts of grace. Grace to it. Building project, he'll bring the capstone, he says, and finish the building with shouts of grace, grace to it. The point is, it was prophets like Zechariah and 
Haggai with prophetic eyes that come to the nation and show the nation, hey, it's time to get back. Tell your neighbor, it's time to get back to building. I want this church to be a building church. Don't become so discouraged by your personal issues, you lose sight of the building. Right? Prophets come and they say, no, we act in shouts of grace. Not whispers of one grace, shouts of double grace. The grace is here, the resource is here. If you plug in, you will do the work. I love what it says in Nehemiah, when Nehemiah started to rebuild the wall, the people says, the Bible says, and the people had a mind to work. Come on, tell someone, have a mind to work. 2018 is going to place a lot of demands upon us. But we need an army, literally an army. We need everyone up your posts. Standing in rank, in file, prepared to do the will of the Lord. Okay? So that's the context of the book. So let's see what Haggai says. I won't read everything because of time. I did send a message via the church group yesterday for you to read Haggai 1 and 2. But just won't read the entire thing just because of time. But there is something that I want to just draw your attention to. Haggai chapter 1, let's read from verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says. The first time in the Bible you hear this people. Whenever God calls his people, he says my people. But now he almost distances himself, he says this people. He says this people say that time has not come even for the time for the house of the Lord to be. Rebuilt. So the people say, oh, we are complacent. Let's not give attention. Let's not be as committed as we used to. Let's not be excellent as we used to. Let's not give it our all. The time has not come for that activity. We are quite comfortable in our private world. The time has not come, even the time to, for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Now let me just say this. If you don't know the expectation of God in a time frame for you, You'll be busy with the wrong activity. Yeah? You give priority to the wrong activity because you don't know the emphasis or the demand of God on you in a particular time period. Not so? Yeah? So it's very, very important. The Bible says the men of Issachar, one of the tribes of Israel, they had understanding of the times and what Israel ought to do. You'll never know what to do until you know the critical demand upon you of God in a particular time period. Right? I don't want to be so caught up with activity and it comes to nothingness. And God's saying, you Randall say, the time has not come for me to give emphasis to this activity in reference to the building of my house in your day. But you're busy with other things that you build but are not my doing. And they come to nothingness. Next verse, verse 3, watch. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for yourselves to dwell in your panel houses while this house lies desolate? What is this house? This house is the temple. The corporate temple that they were building, that where the work stopped for 15 years and no one's giving priority to build it again. So God says, you are more focused on your private panel houses. And nobody is concerned for the corporate temple. So you've migrated from my people to this people. Right? God speaks almost 
in very, very uh, disciplinary, um, admonishing terms to his people. Okay? You build, you dwell in your panel houses while this house lies desolate. Now watch. You can apply this contrast between panel house versus corporate house on a number of levels. If you're part of this local church, this, the building activity in this house should be a priority to you. Your panel house will be your private issues out there. If, especially if you claim sonship, because I know not all are sons, but if you claim sonship to a father, the vision of your father becomes your priority and you build it. Tell someone, build it. So you put your shoulder behind the wheel and say, what's on your heart? Let's make it happen. Let's push the program. Let's teach the nations. Let's build the corporate house. I will not so much prioritize my panel, my own private issues, and not neglect the corporates. Amen? Come on, tell someone, have a mind to build. Have a mind to build the corporate house. I'll show you how this affects your harvest in a moment. It's going to affect your harvest if you don't get this attitude right. Right? Verse 5. Now, therefore, says the Lord, consider your ways. Well, let me say how it should be read because there's an exclamation mark here. Consider your ways. What does an exclamation mark denote in grammatical uses? Loud. God is like shouting at the people. Consider your ways. Then he says, verse 6, you, you have sown much, but you harvest a little. Here's where it comes to. You practice sowing and reaping. You've sown seed, but never enjoyed the associated harvest. Why, says the Lord? You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, no one else is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages, and he puts it into a purse with holes. Who feels like you're earning much, but there's holes in your pockets? Putting the stuff in, but never enough. You're sowing, you're sowing, you never ever come to harvest. And what does God say? Do the math. Your attitude to the corporate temple is affecting your harvest. You're focused on panel house issues, neglecting the corporate house. You try sowing and reaping with the wrong attitude towards the house. Corporate house. Let me just say this. I said to you, you can apply this on a number of levels, right? Right now, I'm focusing on the corporate city church. I go to every city church meeting. Why? I want only for me, my mindset is, this is my panel house, corporately. So other issues and events in the city where the churches come together, that's the bigger temple. You see, you can read texts like this and they mean nothing to you. You're going to practicalize them. I'm saying to God, I, Lord, I want to prioritize the building of the city church. Right? So the corporate temple becomes my priority. And just watch church. I guarantee you, when the corporate church, for you who are a member or son of this house, I'm saying start to, start to prioritize the purposes of God in this place corporately and see how your, the observance of seed, and harvest for your life personally goes to another level. And then take it to the next level. Start to build the, the bigger temple, which is the true temple in the, in the city. The corporate temple, the gathering of the church in the city. So that we don't sow much and harvest a, a little. I'll prove this to you in a moment. 
Verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Con second time, consider your, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I might be pleased with it and be glorified. God says, get the building back on. Go up, gather the wood, and start to build the temple, that I might be pleased with it, says the Lord. Verse 9. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why? You want to blame the devil. God says, I blew the harvest. God says to Israel, who blew your harvest away? Come on, read the text. Who blew it? God says, I did it. I blew it. You sowed much, you reaped little. I blew your harvest away because of your attitude towards my house. Why did Jacob tithe? Why? When did he make the decision to tithe? Who remembers? When he saw that vision of the ladder. Remember? Genesis 28. A ladder reaching the top of, from the earth to the top of heaven. And he saw angels ascending and? These, what did he say? He, what did he call the place? He called the name of the place Beth El, which means what? Which means what? Which means what? Say it louder. Which means what? And the moment he says, wow, what I saw is a vision of the, say it, house of God. You know what he said immediately after that? He said, whatever you give me, God, surely I will give 10%. He's, he, he tithed out of a revelation of what the house meant. Huh? If you don't have an understanding of the church, you will always falter when it comes to financial offerings. Yeah? When I understand the call that we have as a church to build a corporate church and to support our spiritual father, Pastor Thamon, I do in his endeavors globally. When I understand the bigger house, the global house, the bigger church, I commit to it financially. Without a revelation of the house and what your father in the Lord means, your pocket will always be closed. And I want to encourage you, tithe. You see, I, I say the seed, I pray the Lord will open your eyes. I pray the spirit of, of, of revelation will be upon you, church. You see the value of the house and respond to that. Yeah, he says, God says, I blew it away, declares the Lord. Why? Because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his, while each of you runs to his own house. Next verse. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. No Rain from the sky, God says, my people, because of you, because of your attitude to my house. Last verse 11, I call for a drought. You want to blame the devil? God says, I ordered it. I ordered the drought. I call for the drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, on your, all the labor of your hands. I hope you get the principle. I don't want to go on with the book of Haggai because I want to get down to, to other stuff to demonstrate to you the principle of, watch, your attitude towards a corporate house will affect your experience of an anticipated harvest for seeds that you have previously sown. It's about attitude to the house. Okay? Let's bump your neighbor and say, you get, to get your attitude right. 
Get your, I'm saying, you know, get your attitude right and may your seed sowing go to the next level. I guarantee you get your attitude right and your seed sowing will go to the next level. I want to move quickly. Okay, we've got 20 minutes left. I want, I want to move quickly and demonstrate the principle. Psalm 122 verse 6. Some of this you know, but it's good to rehearse it. And there are a lot of new people here, so I need to, to do this again. Watch. This text says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper. Who? Who's going to prosper here? Talk to me, church. Who prospers here? Anybody that loves Jerusalem. If you love Jerusalem, this text says, you are going to, to prosper. Right? Now, okay, let's go to the next verse. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. Next verse. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I now say, may peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Now, this is not a reference to natural Jerusalem. When it was written, it was. All scripture has a literal application and a prophetic application. Not so? Okay? So, when it says pray, for example, other versions say pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Yes, you must pray for the peace of all cities throughout the world. But the Jerusalem that is referred to here is the church. How do we know that? Revelation chapter 3 verse 12 says the following. He who overcomes... I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go from it anymore, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which, what? It comes down from heaven, from my God, and my new name. So what is the new, where is the new Jerusalem? It's coming down from heaven. It's nothing to do with an earthly concept. An earthly city. It's something in God. It's a descending reality. It's coming out from, out from God. And look at the next verse. It says in uh, Revelation 21, 2. Revelation 21, 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. So the new Jerusalem is as a bride. And the bride is the body of Christ. So the New Jerusalem refers to, it's a city for square. And it's not a reference to the earthly Jerusalem. It's a spiritual reality called the body of Christ. So go back to Psalm 122. So when, based upon the hermeneutical principle that Scripture must interpret, Scripture, when now you read Psalm 122, um, again, Psalm 122, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We know from Revelation, the new Jerusalem is a reference to the church. So I've got to pray for the peace of the church. Who prospers? Those who love the church. Who prospers? Those who love the house of God. Look at the next verse. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your, your palaces. And then this makes sense. The next verse. For the sake of my brothers in the house and my friends, I now say, may peace be within you. This is saying, 
I seek the peace of the new Jerusalem. I'm seeking the peace of my church to which I belong. I'm not a division sower. I'm for peace. I'm seeking the welfare of all my brothers and my sisters in Christ. If I seek the welfare, everyone say the good. Look at the next verse. For the sake of the house of God, I will seek your good. I will seek after your welfare, New Jerusalem, the church. I'm going to build the house. Tell someone, I'm going to build the house. Say with me, I'm going to seek her good. Say with me, peace to you. Prosperity in your palaces. Now, yes, I am saying on the microcosm, start with each other. But on a macrocosm, we as a church, corporately, are going to seek the good of other churches in the city. Yeah? And God will smile upon us. And every time we enact the principle of sowing and reaping, God doesn't say to us, I blow away your harvest because of your attitude towards my house. Let me just say this bluntly. If you are divisive, sow all you want to. No harvest for you. If you don't seek the good of, and the wealth of your brother, Try and enact the principle of sowing and reaping all you want to. Publicly, I say to you, God blows the harvest away. If you're not going to adopt the principle, I seek the good of my brothers. I, I endeavor, I'm concerned that, that, that people corporately in the, con in the congregation to which I'm a member and to which I belong, that we grow together. I'm not isolationist, individualistic, me, myself, my family, and nobody else. I'm concerned God put me in a family. My attitude towards the house is going to affect my wealth. I wish next year I'll only, there's five or six sessions I have already planned. I'll show you brotherly relationships going to affect your prosperity in the next season. The principle of sowing and reaping is going to be conditional upon how accurate are your relationships. I will talk about the culture of misrepresentation and how it affects seed. I'll show you from the scriptures that this is so, amen. Come on, church. So, are you going to seek the good of the church? Right? Are you going to seek the welfare of your brothers? The prosperity of Job was only turned, the scripture says, when he prayed for his friends. Nothing happened before that. His prosperity was turned when he prayed for his friends. Now, how many of you read Numbers? I was a bit late last night when I sent it. Numbers 22, 23, and 24. You must read it, okay? Homework tonight. Numbers 22, 23. It's a short, powerful narrative. Here's the story. Israel was marching through by tribes. Everyone say by tribes. Very important. I'll explain that in a moment. Moab was threatened by the advance from Egypt of Israel from out of Egypt. And now they've grown a number of people. The king of Moab is Balak. Right? Balak. Or Balak. However you want to pronounce his name. What does Moab mean? Come on. What does Moab mean? What father? Who needs a spiritual father? What is this thing about I don't need a father? It's a spirit that decries the need for fathering. What father? So you must remember when it says, Balak, the king of Moab, he is the ruling authority of that spirit. When he sees tribal configuration of a whole nation coming before in order, in families, under the heads of spiritual fatherly oversight, he is threatened by that reality. 
because of what he represents. Right? And he's concerned. He says, wow. He actually says, these guys are going to overthrow us. And he uses terms like, they're going to lick us up. They're going to destroy. And he's concerned. So what does he do? He consults a prophet of God called Balaam. Remember? And he entices Balaam. He says, come and curse these people for me. I realize I cannot engage them on a physical level. Because what they represent in the spirit is so powerful. Even what I represent in spirit is too also powerful. But I need the aid of somebody to curse them for me. And he says, I promise you a lot of money if you do this. I will honor you greatly. Right? I will honor you greatly. So Balaam says, listen king, I'm a prophet of God. If I can only say what the Lord says for me to say, I can't just curse the people because you say I must. I must curse them. Right? If you go through the first, the first details of this narrative, it says that the men uh, that Balak sent to recruit the services of this prophet Balaam, he sent emissaries to them. And on first occasion, he did not listen to them. Because the Lord says, don't go with these men to the king. Right? And the second time, Balak was so angry that Balaam refused. The Bible said he sent a second group of emissaries more distinguished, more important than the first. And Balaam decides to go with them after a very clear warning by, from God not to do that. You know the story. And God put an angel every time in his way with a drawn sword. You don't go to the services of that king of Moab to curse my people. How dare you? And he's riding on his donkey. And the donkey can see the angel, but he can't. Every time the donkey sees the angel, the donkey, like stubborn, doesn't go. And the Bible says, and he struck his donkey. Right? And the donkey moved. Then it says they passed through a narrow place where there's no place to move. And the donkey wouldn't move. And the donkey the, crushed Balaam's leg against the wall because of the narrow space. And he says to the donkey, you're lucky I've got a stick here. If I had a sword, you would have been dead by now. And the donkey opens his mouth and he says, Master, in English, look I've been with you all these years. Haven't I always done? I've, you've, I've, you've ridden my back forever. He says, doesn't it? Shouldn't something register here that something's wrong here? Right? And the Bible says, and the Lord opened his eyes and he saw the angel. And the angel said, had you come, I was going to kill you. The king of Moab, he goes to the king. Balak. So Balak says, come here to a high place. So they come up a hill, they up the hill. He says, and look at these people. Now they, there was, I mean, hundreds of thousands of Israelites. And from where they were, they could only see the back parts, the rear end of the group. So Balak says to Balaam, here's these people, check them out. They're going to destroy us. You better curse them for me. Right? So Balaam says, erect seven altars. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh, by the way, they go to places at the worship of Baal. Right? Let me consult the Lord. And he says, how can I? The Lord says, no, you can't curse my people. 
Bless them. Right? Tell someone you cannot be cursed. Bless them. Right? So, let me read this to you because I think it's good that you see it. Numbers 23 verse 11. Oh, by the way, this happens three times. Three times. Then, I mean, he blesses the people instead of cursing. The king of Moab is angry. How come I, I solicited your services to curse? Instead, you are, you can't help yourself if someone bless. A bless. Just see these people use blessing come out of your mouth. Yet your mandate is to curse. So come up to a higher elevation. Then they, they go to a higher elevation. Balaam there says again, erect seven altars, seven bulls, seven rams. Let's offer, let's talk to the Lord. The Lord comes to him and says, you bless. The king of Moab is angry. Then he says, maybe let's go to Pur, another place. P-O-E-R. Maybe from that elevation, you'll see what these people represent and then curse them. Hey, the prophet can't help himself. Ah, ah, open, just open the mouth and blessing spews out for the people of, of God. And look what he says. Balak says to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, but behold, you actually bless them. Verse 20. Behold, I have received the command to bless. When he has blessed, then I cannot revoke it. Balaam says, I cannot watch, please, church. He's saying, I cannot act in contradiction. Not just to God, who is intent on blessing his people, but I cannot act in contradiction to the way they position themselves for blessing. That is how you must read into this. If you go to Numbers 24, I have to read this, watch. Then you know the last time he took him to a higher elevation to curse the people of God. Numbers 24, Balaam saw it pleased the Lord to bless Israel. He did not go at other time to seek omens, but he set his face to the wilderness. Verse 2, Balaam lifted up his eyes and he saw what? Come on, read with me. Say, come on, let's read in chorus. He saw Israel camped by, camping tribe by tribe, and the Spirit of God came upon him. Now, just watch. Let me read the next verse and I'll explain the principle. And he took up his discourse, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Bor, and the oracle of the man whose eye is open. The oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees visions of the Almighty, falling down, yet having his eyes uncovered. Watch. How fair are your tents? He blesses them again. The mandate is curse the people. This guy opens his mouth and he says to all Israel, How fair, how blessed are your tents? Dwelling places in families. How blessed are your tents, O Jacob. Your dwellings, O, o Israel. Like valleys that stretch out like gardens beside the river. Like aloes planted by the Lord. Like cedars besides the waters. Water will flow from his buckets and his seed will be by many waters. What does, don't keep this up. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 1 and 2 says, Cast your bread upon the... Waters, give to seven, give to eight. After many days, you will, you will find it. He says, these people sowing and reaping, their, their seed besides waters is blessed. And his king shall be higher than Agag. Right? Remember, Agag was the king of the Amalekites. Right? King of the Amalekites. And his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He is for him. Like the horns of a wild ox, he will devour the nations who are his adversaries. 
and he will crush their bones in pieces and shatter them with arrows. Next verse, quickly. He couches, he lies down as a lion. You should remember the prophecy in Judah when you read this. He crouches, he lies down as a lion, as a lion who dares rouse him. Blessed is everyone who blesses you, and cursed is everyone who curses you. Now, I don't know where it's found, but go back to verse 2. Everyone say, tribe by tribe. Two points here. They were not moving, they were camping. It means they are stationed, resting. Now, whenever they rested, they would erect the ark, the tabernacle of Moses. And how would the tribes be arranged around the ark? How many tribes were there? Twelve. So there would be four on the north of the tabernacle. Sorry, yeah, three. Three on the north, three on the south, three on the west, three on the east, with Judah positioned closest to the opening of the tabernacle. If you have an aerial view of that from the position that these guys were at, you would see a picture of the cross. Right there in the Old Testament was symbolically encoded that the blood of Christ was their protection. The power of the cross was fully, Jesus Christ was fully represented in how they marched. I want to assert to you, you know, I, I'm getting to a place what the Lord directed me to do today. Say to you as a congregation, no hex will work on you. No evil spell will work on you. No negative talk from family members or friends that are jealous of your, of your progress or intend that you will not progress. I declare on you, that thing will not work. You are under the blood of the Lamb. Right? No curse, no hex. The witches can get together in covens and call my name up and pronounce curses on me. I am God's son and no authentic son of God can be cursed. You can hire Balaam as powerful as he is. And when he looks at me, what he will see first, this man is under the blood of the Lamb. Tell someone you're under the blood. Right? I don't care what plans you have against me. I declare to powers and principalities, no weapon formed against us will prosper. I speak that to the corporate church. Let me just say this. The Lord revealed to me, I had a terrible dream in the week. Two dreams. The one was very intense. I was traveling in a bus, a massive bus, from Wentworth to town on the freeway. And suddenly, there came a violent tremor throughout the whole city. The freeway was like a roller coaster doing this. And I'm on this bus trying to steer it. And there's all uh, tremors and earthquakes all around me. Surprisingly, I was extremely calm trying to negotiate my way on the freeway. And all of a sudden, a massive uh, crater or crevice appeared in front of the bus. And I wasn't certain whether to break or whether to, to try and uh, uh, cascade it or jump over it. I applied uh, uh, the accelerator and the bus made it over, over this crevice. Some cars fell in, they were around us, and I managed to, with a side road, pull off. And just, this is in the emotion of the, of the event, being overwhelmed. I stood aside, God, what is all of this? Right? And I mean, praying, Lord, what these tremors mean? What is this earthquake? In our bus, I know, I wasn't in my private car. If it was my private car, it would have been something different. A bus indicates your capacity to transport a whole group of people. Indicates your position as a leader affecting a whole group of, of people. And the Lord just said, the, the impression born in my spirit was that there's been negative talk 
raised up against you, not on one level, but on multiple levels. Not on one level, but on multiple levels. And even from key places, strategic governmental levels. I'm not talking earthly government. I'm talking people with rank and file in, in, earth, in, 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 in an earthly context. And the Lord just said this to me. I was so blessed. You know, I did not know that we we're going to speak on Balaam today. The Lord only gave me that when I sent you the message. Because I was meditating upon this. And the Lord, the, the Lord said this to me. Randolph, be of good cheer because, listen carefully, the second reason, you're not just under the blood and nothing, no hits will work against you. I believe this is the key verse. When Balaam lifted up his eyes and he saw Israel camping what? Tribe by tribe, curse as much as you intend. Blessing will only come out when people, have watch, when people have located themselves within a tribe, you cannot touch them. Think of what Balaam saw. He saw order from the high part. He saw structure. He saw placement. Every Judite was in the tribe of Judah. Every tribe had a flag. It's called an ensign. Right? Um, men from Levi weren't with men from Judah. Uh, men from Gad were not with the Simeonites. He saw them, each tribe, in his place. And you cannot curse tribal accuracy. You cannot curse people placed in a tribe. Now, the tribes were made up of clans, not so? And each clan was made up of families. So when it says tribes, it, it, it presumes, you know this, that those tribes were made up of clans, then families, and there was people part of families. They were in a household. They were planted for our purposes in a church, part of a tribe, following its standard, following its ensign, living up to its expectations. When he saw that, he could not curse their harvest. When, listen carefully, church, when you are located in a family with the spiritual father, and you are obeying the principles, and the relationship is mutually honoring, and you subscribe to the word or to, 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 to the doctrine of that father, and you're part of the household that that father leads, and you love your brothers and sisters, and your meat is to do the will of the father, you're supporting your father's vision that he has. I submit to you, you're located amongst the tribe. That household might be a household like for our purposes, we are part, I believe, of a greater clan, led by Pastor Thamo and I do. Right? When the enemy sees us, he sees we're not some loose cannon. We're not busy doing our own thing. We are submitted. We are accountable to others. And when the enemy sees that, the enemy sees these people are uncursable. Psalm 68 verse 8. Verse 68 verse 6. Look at the previous verse, verse 5 first. A father to the fatherless, a judge for the widows, is God in his holy habitation. He makes a home for the lonely. He leads out prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Put the King James on you, King James. Verse 6. He sets the solitary in what? 
Come on, say it with me, church. I need your eyes to be open. Everyone say, God sets. Now, in the New Testament, it says the Holy Spirit sets some in the body as it has pleased Him. You are here because the Holy Ghost placed you here. Membership of a church is not determined by you. You simply got to listen to what is the Spirit leading you. Holy Spirit sets members in the body. This verse, this verse says, He sets the solitary. Everyone say solitary. It is the most dangerous thing today not to belong. To be the isolated Christian is to be the most vulnerable person to attack. You better find yourself in a house, part of a clan, part of a tribe. When the enemy sees that, you are uncursable. You are uncursable. The time for solitariness is over. Become accountable, become a part of some bigger whole. Because there's immunity in that culture. He puts the solitary in families, watch, and he brings those out which are bound with chains, sets the prisoners free. It's only the rebellious that live in the desert, no harvest. But so long as you are functionally located within a family, I, I want to submit to you, the blessing of the Lord is attendant with that. Right? The blessing of the Lord is attendant with that. Balaam could not curse. There's a lovely verse, which I want to close with, just because of time. There's a whole lot of other verses here. But Deuteronomy 29, verse 5, and then Psalm 105, verse 37. I want to close with this. I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Watch. Your clothes have not worn out. Your sandal has not worn out on your foot. How can a people march, not in a mall for 40 years, they're marching in a desert, no aircon, right? Hostile conditions, arid conditions. And the Bible says you got the same pair of shoes for 40 years. You got the same DH shirt for 40 years. Even though this is DH, these things they don't last now. Especially the way I sweat. <laughs> okay. hmm? That was, do, do you not conclude that's a miracle right there, right? A miracle right there of God's preservation. If there's any a miracle, that's a miracle. No clothes, no sandals, and you're, you're not marching in a lush place. You're in hostile, arid, deserty conditions, a wilderness. God says a miracle right there. You know why the miracle was? Because they were tribally configured. Right? I'll, I'll prove this to you. Look at the next psalm. What psalm was it again? Psalm 105 verse 37 says this. He brought them out with silver. Out of Egypt, he brought them out with silver and gold. And among his tribes, there was no one who stumbled. Everyone say, among the tribes. Look at the New King James or the King James. It says something slightly different, but the thought is, is still the same. He brought them forth with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble one among the tribes. No feebleness, no stumbling amongst the tribes. And I want to submit to you, I declare to you, church, the seeds you've sown in faithfulness to God will reap the harvest intended by God when, while you sow, you have the right attitude to the house of God.
Intention must be to build the corporate dynamic. You pray for the peace of the new Jerusalem. Peace to you. You become part of a household. No uh, Balak, Moab intention against you will prosper. The Bible says no weapon raised against you will, will prosper. And let me, let me read the text because God gave me this as a promise. Isaiah 44, the text. And God gave me this as a promise to the house. We quote that verse so often, but we don't know the context. right? I want to read from verse 13 in ASB. 54. Isaiah 54, verse 13. All your sons will be taught of the Lord, and the well-being of your sons will be great. We had a prophecy from Sean Bluchnout straight off this verse. The well-being of your sons will be great. I submit to you, sons in God, of God, your well-being will be great. Your peace will be preserved. Then it says this, In righteousness you will be established, and you will go far from oppression. You will not fear, and from terror, for it will not come near you. If anyone fiercely assails you, it will not be from me. How's that? God says, if anyone harasses you, just know it's not me. <laughs> Whoever assails you will fall because of you. I said on Facebook recently, and I shared this with you on the WhatsApp group, it is in your best interest to bless me. You know what God said to Abraham? In blessing, I will bless you. Whoever blesses you, I bless. Whoever curses you, I curse. Amen. So just bump your neighbor and say, you better bless Randolph. <laughs> you speak negatively, guess what? You, it is so powerful a thing, and this is not only for me, this is for all of you. It's a powerful thing when God's intended action towards someone is based upon how they treat you, his son. God said, I will respond to anybody based upon their attitude and, and their, their treatment of you. Listen carefully, church. I'm sharing with you secrets I've learned over the years. Don't dishonor the house. Don't dishonor your leader. Don't dishonor your brother. You're inviting curses. The Bible says in Proverbs, where's it, 26 or 28, a, a curse without a cause will not settle or curse causeless will not settle. I don't know where it is, but you know the verse, right? It says there's sparrows in a flighting. Like a sparrow hovering around, looking for a place to land or to settle. So a curse in the atmosphere cannot land without a cause. There must be a cause for the curse to settle. What does Malachi 4, 6? God's Malachi 4, 5 and 6 says, I will restore the hearts of the fathers to their sons and sons to their fathers. So I will not come and smite the earth with a curse. The curse is broken by the father-son principle. You're locking into that, to, to that dynamic. Okay? Let's go back to, and then Isaiah 54, the next verse. Verse 13. Behold, I myself have created the smith who blows the fire of the coals and brings out the weapons for its work. I have created the destroyer to rule. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper Every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage. I like this. This is your privilege. This is your honor. This is part of your inheritance. 
This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. And, and you know, I want to encourage you. I'm hearing words, even against you. You might be unaware of this. People are scandaling left, right, and center about you. And listen carefully. Find your place where the seed sown, no, 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 nothing will abort your harvest. Right? You're under the blood, but you're also accurately placed in a tribe. Right? You're seeking the good of Jerusalem. Now hold your peace when you're tempted to justify yourself. Don't retaliate. The Bible says, like a sheep before shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus, when accused, did not retort, did not re respond. And I want to encourage you just quickly as we close, just let me just tell you a bit about accusation. You know, it's a very powerful thing. In the realm of the spirit, accusation is not just innocent. It's an extremely powerful spirit when words are released out against you. And because you know why the Bible says, who is the accuser of the brethren? Satan is the accuser of the brethren, but he doesn't have a voice. He's not a man. So he uses other men to accuse you by. So the origin of accusation is extremely satanic with an intent to, for you to abort your breakthrough, to, for you to abort your next harvest in God. But I'm here to encourage you, church. I heard words against me, and listen carefully, I heard words against our church corporately. And we are here to affirm our position in Christ. We will not stumble because we are amongst the tribes. Simple. There will be no feeble one amongst us because we are amongst the tribes. Right? The accusing spirit intended to curse us can go to the highest elevations in the realm of the spirit. When they look down upon us, they will see we are amongst the tribes. And no curse will work. You know what Balaam actually said to Balak? He said, I can't, not just because they're amongst the tribes, but he says, there's actually the shout of a king amongst them. Everyone say king. You know the song, we shall not be cursed. For the shout of a king is among us. The weapons of hell will not prosper. For the shout of a king is among us. Come on, say, we shall not be cursed. A king there means a leader in authority. To which people are submitted. You can't curse those people. Right? They are in rank, they are in file, they are in order. Yeah? In fact, publicly, try curse. Even your intent will work for our good. Hallelujah. So I'm here to encourage you. Stand with me. No weapon formed against you will prosper. No tongue that is raised up against you will stand. Every tongue that accuses you, in judgment you will condemn it. This is the heritage of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. I want to encourage you. Judges, while you stand, Judges 18, verse 27. I want to remind you of this. Look at this verse. They took what Micah had made and the priests who belonged to him and came to Laish, a people quiet and secure, and stuck, struck them with the edge of the sword, and they burned the city with fire. Next verse. There was no one to deliver them because it was too far from Sidon, and they had no dealings with anyone. 
and they were in a valley which is near Beth Rahob, and that he built it and lived in. The people of Laish were attacked by an enemy and destroyed. The Bible says the only reason why they were destroyed, they were too far from Sidon, having no dealings with anybody. Tell someone, don't be too far. Can't be isolationist, solitary. You're going to find yourself in trouble. Don't be too far. Amen. Lift your hands. Come on, lift your hands. Come on, I'm going to pray. I'm going to assert protection over us. We are blessed people. The Bible says He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You can't curse me. I'm already blessed. You can't curse me. No devil, no, no spell, no hex against us will work. Right? We are blessed people. And we're going to build a house that harvests will come to full fruition. Seed sown will come to full harvest. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We seek a good. May they prosper who love you. Peace within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. Right? Time has come to favor Zion. Favor upon you. When you favor the dust of Zion. When you seek her good. Favor upon you. Father, I thank you. I'm going to pray a, a prayer of protection. Come on, lift your hands. For you and your family. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I take authority over every negative word spoken. Against all the families, members and sons of our ministry. Including those of our visitors who are with us today. I, I judge those words in the name of the Lord. I, I break its power. I declare it will not work. I pray even things spoken in the secret sanctuary, plots and schemes for our demise, I declare it will not work. By the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are under the blood of the Lamb. No angel of death will visit any of your houses. I declare your protection in Christ, in the name of the Lord. Father, I ask whatever the enemy has intended for our destruction, you turn for our construction. What was meant for evil, you turn for our good. What was meant to put roadblocks, you make it a highway, even now, in the name of the Lord. I break every negative word. I break its power. By the authority of Jesus Christ, I break its power. I declare it will not work against us. Your children are blessed. I declare blessing over your kids, blessing over your marriage, blessing over your calling, blessing over your ministry. May your meat be God's will. May your passion be to be set in a family, in a clan, in a tribe, in which you will find immunity, in which you will find protection. In the name of Jesus. Now may the blessing of the Lord be your portion, church. May the Lord bless you indeed. May the Lord bless your going in and your coming out from this day forth, even forevermore. I declare that uh, this will be the start of a brand new day in God for you. That words spoken previously will come to pass speedily. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. I declare that what was an impasse to you is removed now what are you oh mountain what are you obstacle before Zerubbabel you will become a plane and he will bring the capstone the finishing stone with shouts of grace grace to it in the name of Jesus 
I break the struggle in your life. As your father in Christ, I stand as a king. And there is the shout of a king represent within the voice of a man, but it's really the shout of the king, our King Jesus in us as leaders. We break that struggle in your life. No more struggle. No more struggle. I declare the prosperity of the Lord upon you. You will love Jerusalem. You will seek a good. You will say for my brothers and my friends' sake, I seek your good. May you prosper. May things go well with you. I declare may you be blessed of the Lord in everything you put your hand to. I declare due season, your time, your unique season is upon you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. You may be seated.